Welcome to Food and Body Acceptance Podcast Series. This series is brought to you by third-year nutrition students at the University of Saskatchewan. Aisha Khan, Brooke Webster, Chelsea Lussier, and Jaden Sushat. We are partnered with the USA Student Wellness Center as part of Eating Disorder Awareness Week. And our goal is to advocate for greater awareness and education about eating disorders and to promote food and body acceptance. We would like to acknowledge that this podcast was recorded on Treaty 6 territory and the homeland of the Métis. We pay our respects to the First Nations and Métis ancestors of this place and reaffirm our relationship with one another. Please be aware that the topics of this episode center around eating disorders and may be triggering to some individuals. Hi everyone, and welcome to today's episode. My name is Brooke. And my name is Aisha. We will be your hosts today. In this episode, we will be talking to Kaylee Oblonsky, a clinical social worker and therapist at Youth Mental Health and Addiction Services here in Saskatoon. Thank you so much for joining us today, Kaylee. Thank you for having me. Kaylee, can you begin by telling us more about yourself and what type of work you do as it relates to eating disorders? Sure. I'm um, a white cisgender woman who was born and raised in Treaty 6 territory, um, and I work providing family-based therapy to youth and families in Saskatoon. I work alongside a registered dietitian and pediatrician in in the city, and often we have psychiatrists involved in providing treatment as well. So Kaylee, what drew you to this area of work? I knew I wanted to become a counselor or therapist when I was quite young in high school after having a positive experience with my own counselor. So I went into social work school with the goal of eventually working in mental health and addictions. And this is where I've worked my entire career. Um, I started working with youth in 2013 and became more interested in supporting youth with body image issues and disordered eating. Um, When I started my master's in 2015, my main focus was to learn about how to best support youth and families with um, experiencing disordered eating, as that's something that you have to have a bit more uh, expertise and training for. That's not something you really learn about in uh, your basic uh, bachelor degree. Um, And like many people, I've experienced my own struggles with body image and diet culture as a young woman, and even as young as I can remember, maybe 11 or 12, feeling quite insecure in my body and dabbling with um, dieting or, you know, quote unquote, fitness um, throughout that time. But fortunately, um, as I came to identify as a feminist, I learned a lot more about the power of diet culture and patriarchy through my own journey. And now I'm really passionate about helping young people deconstruct these ideas Um, when they're well enough to do so. You know, it's really great that you have such a positive experience growing up, and now you're able to make that difference in someone else's life. Kaylee, you tend to work with younger people who may be developing eating disorders. Can you explain what may lead to the onset of an eating disorder? Sure. Um, The onset of an eating disorder is really multifactorial in nature. So we know there's no one single cause. Um, factors such as biology, which would be like genetics and biochemical, um, psychological, which is more like your personality. Some people are just more prone to developing an eating disorder because of 
their personality type and um, mental health, other mental health factors that are going on. And then, of course, some of the things that I already talked about around um, the social, cultural beliefs around food and appearance and messaging that we receive either through media or also through our lived experiences with family and peers, um, bullying, those sorts of things. Um, so, and, and, and kind of can happen at any time, just depending on those vulnerabilities. We've seen um, youth as young as 11 or 12 who are experiencing some of these things, um, sometimes even younger. Um, but then of course, sometimes it doesn't happen until later in adolescence or even into um, early university. How do you think the transition to university life affects people struggling with an eating disorder? Uh, well, entering university is certainly a significant life transition. Uh, for many, it's one of their first adult experiences. And what I mean by that is, you know, their first time um, being on their own, making meals, um, all sorts of different things that are, that are so much different than when they're in high school. And of course, that comes with added stresses and pressures that can continue, can, sorry, contribute to um, a number of mental health challenges, which can also be eating disorders. Um, and like I said earlier, you know, a number of environmental factors can impact the risk of developing an eating disorder. But I have to say that everyone's experience with um, an eating disorder is unique. And often people, you know, who have experienced anxiety or perfectionism in the past can get into patterns of disordered eating or disordered exercise when in university. Um, I know that some people who are involved in athletics in university uh, may experience this to a degree as well, right? Trying to be the best athlete, the healthiest athlete, all those things can sort of lead to that pattern of getting into, I have to eat this certain way or move my body this many times a week in this way. Um, Sometimes disordered eating evolves out of an attempt to make quote unquote healthy choices and um, that can get taken to an extreme, of course. And like I said, with the, the eating on your own piece, it can kind of go one way or the other in terms of the spectrum of eating. Um, and of course, sometimes it's about control or and or listening to the untrue promises that diet culture and disordered eating lead us to believe about body shape and size in relation to happiness, love, success. You know, if you have those things, then um, if you have your, this certain body or eat this certain way, then you'll have have all those things. So it's really a, a complex thing that can be compounded by um, the pressures and stresses that come with university life. You know, Kaylee, Ayesha and I both know the struggles of transitioning into university. And this is so important to acknowledge for those who may already be living with an eating disorder. Um, so Kaylee, talking about body dysmorphia, can you um, talk about some of the common warning signs of eating disorders um, as well as disordered eating patterns? Sure, there are many um, warning signs. I guess the thing is, is, it's kind of tricky to piece out because often disordered eating is so common in diet culture, right? Um, it's really perpetuated in, in diet culture that restricting certain foods, restricting the amount of calories you have or certain food groups is, is healthy or good. Um, so it can be really hard to know when somebody's taking um, their eating, dieting um, a little bit too far. You know, often, like I mentioned about university, disordered eating starts off as a 
healthy eating taken so too far and that happens at a younger age as well or can happen um so some signs of just disordered eating are if you notice that you are feeling guilty about food choices like you need to label things as like having a cheat day or feeling like oh no I ate something that was off of my diet plan and then like sort of punishing yourself or needing to exercise to make up for that um eliminating entire food group without any um real reason to do so like you don't have an allergy or um, you haven't been told by your physician that this is you know something that you have an intolerance to um one of the big warning signs is being preoccupied or controlled by thoughts of food or exercise so spending a large amount of time really thinking about food food planning researching like how much nutrition is in you know what you're going to go eat at a restaurant that day or that sort of thing being critical about what other people eat and sort of judging them based on their choices and then feeling like depressed or anxious or sleeping too much or having little core concentration all those things can happen if you're being undernourished um and then if you kind of continue to go on that path then it can get into the eating disorder um realm of things so an eating disorder has um excessive concern with body shape or weight um often like as you mentioned with body dysmorphia there's a distorted body image um right like always believing that your body isn't thin enough usually is what it is dieting dieting research right spending a lot of time researching the best what would be the quote unquote best diets um pro anorexia pro eating disorder websites now obviously there's a lot of stuff floating around on Instagram and other social media that people can get really sucked into because of the algorithm again like suddenly restricting certain food groups without reason so just deciding all of a sudden I'm not going to eat meat because I want to be vegetarian and there's nothing wrong with vegetarianism or being vegan but sometimes people take that to I'm only going to eat this raw um food vegan diet and uh, we know that that's not healthy um increase picky eating so sometimes people say that they've always been a picky eater but then they get really really focused on specifically only eating healthy foods or clean foods and really like not allowing themselves to have any foods that wouldn't fall into those categories um refusing to eat meals that others prepare because they don't know exactly how much has gone into those things um regularly using the washroom after a meal, showering after a meal or taking multiple showers a day that sometimes a sign that something might be going on. Um lots of stomach flu episodes like that seem kind of unusual for that person, skipping meals, fasting. There's a lot of there's a lot of signs. Um if you notice that somebody's got large amounts of food missing that might be kind of around the restricting binging cycle that can happen. Um like I said earlier obsession with food calorie counting recording everything recording amounts of foods people getting obsessed with their fitbits or those sorts of things needing to weigh themselves every single day some people get anxious and refuse to eat in front of other people including their family members and or they're worried about being judged by how little they're eating denying their hunger cues um noticing like a huge weight fluctuation in either weight loss um or or um, just general weight loss 
sometimes there's like unusual eating habits or rituals that you'll notice, like cutting food into really small pieces or eating a really small plates or using chopsticks for things to sort of slow things down, kind of pushing food around their plate or hiding food. So things that wouldn't have seemed normal for them before, and then all of a sudden they're doing things like that. Um, excessive physical activity, social isolation. So maybe they've become more isolated than they were historically. Um, preparing food and then not eating it. So sometimes we'll see people like love to bake, but they don't eat the baking. They just bake for other people. Lots of diet talk or talk about eating fat. And then also a huge sign that the disordered eating has gone too far is that they're if in people who menstruate that they're skipping periods in conjunction with the weight loss. Um, and then of course, self-induced vomiting or use of laxatives or diet teas or diuretics or diet pills. So really neither disordered eating or eating disorders are healthy. They can both be very dangerous. Um, but the main difference is that an eating disorder can meet the DSM criteria for a psychiatric diagnosis. Oh, wow. Um, Kaylee, there were many things that you've mentioned that I had absolutely no idea that were uh, warning signs for eating disorders and disordered eating. I agree with Aisha, and I feel that most people don't know their warning signs either. So I'm very glad that you took the time to go through as many as possible and hopefully shed light on these behaviors and what they might actually mean. Can you explain the connection between identity and eating disorders? Yeah, like any mental health can, um, disorder, people often assume the label of their diagnosis is a large part of their identity. So in my work, for example, some people will say I'm depressed or I'm anxious. And, you know, they may be experiencing those things, but it can become such a large part of who they are if we don't work to help people understand that they're separate from those things. So with an eating disorder, since thoughts and behaviors can be so consuming, people who experience them often don't know who they are without the eating disorder, right? Like what happens if I lose that eating disorder part of myself? A large part of my work is focusing on separating the person from the eating disorder. And of course, this takes a lot of time. But typically, when people are able to envision their life without the eating disorder, they're also able to take steps toward making their preferred identity a reality. And sometimes we have to talk about who were you before the eating disorder came into your life? And they start to remember. Um, so there's a lot, of, a lot of work that has to be done there, but the comparison that sometimes we talk about is if we talk about like a, a physical health condition, right? Um, you don't say, I'm, I am diabetes. Yeah, I have diabetes, or I'm experiencing diabetes, or I'm experiencing cancer. Um, with mental health, people often assume the label. So that's a big part of our work and working with, for in my work, working with families, we also have the parents really helping alongside to help the adolescent realize that they are who they are and who they were before the eating disorder entered their life. Can you talk more about body dysmorphia and how you typically see this develop? Sure. Um, Body dysmorphia is when somebody is preoccupied or fixated with perceived body flaws. So like disordered eating, our perception of body and body image exists on a continuum. Someone who has a poor body image does not necessarily have body dysmorphia. And 
preoccupation with imagined or slight defect in one's appearance. So it might be focused on a particular body part, like um, getting really fixated on like my, the way your nose looks or your chin or your stomach, or it can be a dislike of an entire body. And like eating disorders, the cause of body dysmorphia is really unclear. Um, but of course, it can certainly be impacted by environmental factors such as lived experience and biology. Kaylee, your points are absolutely resonating with me because we live in a society that values thinness and then this creates a terrifying cascade for people who may already struggle with their body image. Uh, so knowing this, how does body dysmorphia relate to eating disorders? Body image disturbances often contribute um, to eating disorders. However, there can be overlap with body dysmorphic disorder and eating disorders. There can be people who experience body dysmorphic disorder who, when the preoccupation of their body part is perceived to be large, but eating and weight are not usually disturbed. So they can um, commonly co-occur, um, often, again, displaying an overly negative body image or self-esteem. But it's not uncommon for a person with an eating disorder such as anorexia or bulimia or binge eating disorder to obsess with their physical appearance and engage in extreme dieting exercise, comparing their physical experience to others. So sometimes they're kind of co-occurring and sometimes they're separate. What are some of the most common misconceptions you encounter surrounding eating disorders? Oh, there are many. Um, many believe that um, eating disorders only occur in um, women and girls. Um, they're often believed to um, only occur in um, white women as well. So both of these things are false. Eating disorders occur across the gender spectrum. They can also occur at any age. Um, in my experience, Black, Indigenous, and people of color experiencing dis eating disorders are often missed. Um, or dismissed due to other social determinants of health. So sometimes they're experiencing other things that would be maybe more pressing or um, just seen as of, of higher importance, such as like food insecurity or poverty or lack of access um, to resources. Um, other misconceptions about eating disorders are that they're all about food and body. And, you know, sometimes that's how it starts. Disordered eating can be about dieting, but there's often underlying issues contributing to the development of the eating disorder. And I guess one of the biggest things is that eating disorders are not a choice. They're a serious illness, which people can fully recover from with early intervention, treatment, and support. Kaylee, I was wondering, why is it often believed that um, eating disorders are more prevalent among white women? You know, I think that has a lot to do with our patriarchy. We live in a system that was created by white supremacy. And um, if we talk about our healthcare system, for example, so people who are white typically have had historically greater access to healthcare, um, greater access to resources. And I think maybe, like I said earlier, I think that sometimes those young people who are being kind of noticed as having an eating disorder are are caught and provided the, the support if there's other stuff going on like it's just not that big of a deal 
Um, sometimes people are under eating who are like experiencing food insecurity, but that's not necessarily recognized because, well, they just, everybody doesn't eat a lot in their family. And of course there are white people who are in poverty and white people who are struggle with lack of access to resources, but that's not the most common experience. So I think that's part of it. I really think it's kind of a complicated question, but um, certainly I think that's part of it. And then there's like also these beliefs, right, about it, it's, that this is who it, it, it's just sort of like a belief that's been perpetuated. If you look at movies, I think that's sort of often the thing, you know, that people with eating disorders are white um, young women. Um, so, yeah, it's it's uh, it's a little bit complicated, but there's certainly a lot of um, cultural factors contributing to that. What advice can you give someone who is wanting to help support um, a friend or family member with an eating disorder? Uh, it's important for people to know that they have someone available to provide them support and lend an ear without judgment. Eating disorders love secrecy and they thrive in silence and like many problems do. So when someone's experiencing an eating disorder and, and they have a team to back them on their recovery, they're more likely to feel like they can stand up and resist the eating disorder and it's and to recognize those false promises I talked about earlier. So their team might consist of, as often the eating disorder is so convincing to, to the person experiencing it that there's nothing wrong and that they should continue um, listening to the eating disorder and, and really getting sicker, right? What is the number one thing you tell clients who are struggling with an eating disorder? Uh, that's a that's a difficult question um, because yeah it kind of depends on where they're at at the beginning we have a really strong emphasis on eating and weight restoration in most cases obviously some people are not underweight and they experience eating disorders um, but regardless we're still talking about eating adequate amounts of food and and that's obviously myself with alongside the dietitian it's so important for people to understand that there's a strong medical component to eating disorders at the beginning and that they can be lethal if they're left untreated because eating disorders have a very strong effect on um, our internal organs, particularly um, your heart. So once people are able to cognitively engage, which usually takes some of that time of refeeding and, and making sure that they're getting adequate nutrition, and they can engage in therapy. One of my main goals is to just help them recognize that the eating disorder is not who they are, that they can be separate from that eating disorder and that they can have a life without eating disorder. So sometimes um, clients will talk about like breaking up with their eating disorder or referring to the eating disorder as a bad friend or a bully. And that can really help them to make that distinction and um, recognize that that's not something that they want for themselves. Do you have a final takeaway message that you would like to leave with our listeners today? I think um, just for for anybody who thinks that they might be, if, if I went through those sort of red flags and there were like a few of like, oh, maybe that's me, seek support if you think you might be getting into that. Um, even if you're at the very early stages, um, it's better, the earlier the better to get a handle on things. And even if you're just somebody who struggles with food and body, um, your relationship with food and body, you know, it's better to get support for that because even if you don't have an eating disorder, um, dieting is not 
healthy for anybody and um, getting stuck in that cycle of dieting can be really, really harmful long term. And if you're concerned about a friend or a loved one who who might be exhibiting some of those symptoms, just to approach them with care and compassion, uh, knowing that the eating disorder is not a choice and it can happen to anyone. Sometimes people are ready to, they really want to act on the things and the person's not ready or maybe doesn't even recognize that there there's problems there. So sort of like I was already talking about, you know, being there consistently and, and lending an ear and, and maybe sharing some things with them that might help them be like, oh, you know, maybe that is a problem for me and just and just being there and supporting them. Of course, I guess the exception to that is in terms of like gradual care is if somebody is seemingly not eating very much at all, um, very underweight, if you have the power to get them to a hospital to be um, physically assessed, because like I said earlier, it can be lethal if you don't um, get that sorted out and sometimes does require hospitalization. Kaylee. You talked about so many important topics today and a common theme that I have found throughout this episode is the important factor of people knowing they're not alone. You've indicated so many ways that individuals can support themselves and reflect on their behaviors as well as supporting others and how to notice these behaviors in others that they love. And and I really like the part where you said it's a marathon, not a sprint, because when you're taking care of your mental health, it doesn't happen overnight and it takes time. And I think everything you mentioned today is going to make this process so much more achievable for our listeners. So thank you for everything. Oh, you're welcome. I really hope that it does help. You know, sometimes people think it's quick fix, but it's, you know, we have to think of our mental health the same as our physical health. And Sometimes uh, people can just go a couple times to an appointment and sometimes they need um, some long-term care and that's completely fine and acceptable and what's needed. And, you know, like anything, we all need our support system, whatever that looks like. So, yeah, just remembering that it's, it's certainly is something that takes, um, takes time and takes support and doing this in isolation can be done, but it's really a lot more challenging. And that concludes today's episode. Thanks again for joining us today, Kaylee. For more information on the topics of today's episode, check out our episode description. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. And keep an eye out on our social media for our fourth and final episode, which will be released on February 7th. Have a great week, everyone.